Welcome, and today we are talking about discipleship, and I'm really excited about this because this is something that was so important to the ministry of Jesus. None of us would be here if it were not for discipleship, and we have a part to play in discipleship as well. So before we dive in, I want to borrow your imaginations. If you would please lend them to me. Let's think back to this last NFL football season. It is the end of the 2019-2020 NFL football season that none of us thought we were going to get. But God shined down his love and mercy on us, and we got a season from start to finish, just a couple fewer games. It's the end of the season. The coaches, they have enjoyed coaching. The players, they have enjoyed playing. The in-house staff, they have enjoyed taking care of the administrating that needed to be taken care of in the fans. The fans enjoyed showing up to the stadiums. They enjoyed cheering their teams on. They enjoyed sitting in front of their screens and cheering for their teams. In the season, the coaches enjoyed coaching their players so much that they never coached anyone else. They never had an eye out for the person that would replace them in their position. The players, they enjoyed playing so much that they only trained. They only did things that pertain to getting better at what they were doing and getting ready for the next opponent, the in-house staff. Well, they loved administering and administrating so much that they rarely left their offices. The fans, they loved showing up to the games so much that that's all they did. They left everything they had in their seats in the stadium, shouting towards the field. They left it all in front of their screen as they yelled at their TV, and hopefully didn't throw anything at it out of frustration. The oldest quarterback known to man had just won his 21st Super Bowl ring. Some people were excited about that. I was heartbroken. (laughs) The season is over, and then we head into postseason. And now it's time to prep for the season that is ahead. But the coaches They forgot about the players that they needed because they were satisfied with a close-knit team that they had. The players, they forgot to pass down their love for the game to the next generation. They forgot their influence and their ability to reach communities and make a difference because all they ever did was train. They never rested in order to recover. All they did was prepare, prepare, prepare for the next season. Work, 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 harder, harder, harder. The in-house staff. Remember, they never left their offices, and they never scouted. They forgot to scout because they were too concerned about how they can make the experience of game day better for the people that were already there. They got busy in the details of the organization. And the fans, you, me, they grew tired. They grew complacent with their teams because of their lack of roster growth, because of their players aging out. Not Tom Brady. He's a vampire. He's going to last forever. And the injuries from the lack of rest. And all of this led to the downfall of what we know as the NFL. Now, this is all hypothetical. Some of you are cheering. Wives, you're like, finally, I get the TV back on Sundays. Husbands, you're mourning on the inside. But this took place season after season. Season after season, stadium crowds, they dwindled down. Viewers, from their screens dwindled down, and eventually the NFL was something of the past. It wasn't even a thought of society on Sunday, let alone Monday night. What was once a vibrant, celebratory pastime was now a ghost that was written about 
in history books. And this is the way the NFL died. There was no foresight. There was no forethought into who would fill these positions into the next generation that would fill that void of skilled players on these teams, of coaches that would coach these players. So this is all hypothetical, but this is not hypothetical here. I think in the same exact way, the same exact thing that has happened to the NFL in this scenario, I think could very easily and has already started to happen in the church as a whole today. I'm not talking about Asante Church. I'm talking about the body of Christ. I'm talking about the church two miles down the road from us, 10 miles down the road from us. The churches that we know, that we've seen as we passed, as we drive past them, going on errands, whatever. But I fear that if we are not careful, that this could become us as well. We've lost the love that we once had for the lost. We've traded it for the church experience, this Sunday morning worship. We've forgotten to pass down our faith because we're so busy doing ministry. We are so busy worshiping God. And my favorite one of all that we like to use as an excuse is we are so busy fellowshipping. We're coming together. We're spending time around each other. But we're forgetting about the people out there that need us. We're forgetting about the next generation, the people that are to come into relationship with Jesus. We're forgetting about discipleship. So time has passed, season after season, the numbers of the universal church, they dwindle. And how long will it be at this rate until the church is written about like a ghost in history books? I heard a statistic when I was younger. It said um, the baby boomers, 50% of that generation reads their Bible on a consistent, healthy pattern basis. 50% of that generation has said that they follow Jesus. The generation after that, 36%. The generation after that, which I believe is Gen X, um, 16%. The generation after that, which is my generation, the millennials, 4%. 4% of all millennials would say that they are believers, that they have healthy patterns of worshiping Jesus. The, the generation after me, Gen Z, we're all worried about them already. Let's add a little more worry to that. Less than 1% Bible-believing followers of Jesus. Why is that? It's because somewhere along the way, we've lost track of things. How have we gotten into this situation? I think we can go to Matthew 28, verses 19 through 20, and we can kind of see where things started off where the importance of the mission to go, therefore, and make disciples started. And I think we can see where we kind of trailed away. So Matthew, verses 28, 19 through 20, it says, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is the final command of Jesus. Jesus was resurrected from the dead three days after he was hung on the cross, victorious over sin, over death, over the enemy. And he comes back and he hangs out with his boys and he says, disciples, what's up? And they're like, that's not Jesus, especially Thomas. He's like, I'm not going to believe this. And so he shows up again. And he says, Thomas, see these holes? 
See this one right here? Tom's like, all right, I'm not even going to touch it. I believe you now. All right, you've proved your point. And then he makes himself known to 500 more people. And he's on earth for 40 more days. I said four, 40 more days with his disciples. And the last thing he says to them is the great commission that we see right here. Go, therefore, and make disciples. Jesus says, go. What does Jesus never say? He never says, stop. Go, therefore, make disciples. Baptize them. Teach them to obey. And he is with us always because he knows it's going to be scary. He knows we're going to try everything we can do to get out of those conversations, out of the situations. He's going to be there with us in the awkwardness, in the cringe. He says, I'm going to be with you. And so we have power because Jesus is with us. He said, go. He never said stop, but somewhere along the way, we stop. So church, this morning, if you hear nothing else throughout the rest of this message, know this. We have to make disciples. If we do not make disciples, our children have no hope. Our friends have no hope. Our community has no hope. We're called to love God. We're called to love people. A part of that is taking them under our wing, living life with them, being in community with them, speaking truth and love into their life, and making disciples. So if we get this as a church, there are a lot of things that can change. The first thing that can change is our church would change. There will be more people than we see in here right now. And I'm talking if we took a discipleship seriously, if we all just claimed one person to make a difference for the kingdom, for Jesus in their life, imagine if those people started coming with us. There wouldn't be enough chairs in here. We'd have to reposition things to the stage. And then every sermon would feel like an assembly to me, and I would feel like I'm a principal. And that would be weird too, because I wasn't good in elementary school. Things would change. They would change in our community. Things would change in our personal lives. We would not only have explosive growth as a church, but we'd have healthy growth. Not just growth that you see overnight that the church can't sustain, but it's healthy because there's a foundation that's built on the body of believers that's already here, already loving Jesus, and then loving other people and bringing them into the church. And then we see growth in our personal lives as we grow closer to God through obedience to Him and as we are being used by him. It's one thing to love God and to show up to worship. That's an incredible place, especially an incredible place to start. It is something altogether different and fulfilling when you know that you're used, being used by God to advance his kingdom. There's nothing better to have than having a part to play in the story. And then we would see that our domains would change. The lost would be found. Our friends, our family, our workplaces, our hobbies, our passions, and the people that we are surrounded with in each and every single one of those things would learn to walk with Jesus as they looked at us as we walked with Jesus. So, what is a disciple? Something we have to ask ourselves. A disciple is someone who attaches themselves to a rabbi. A rabbi is a fancy Hebrew word that means teacher. And so it is a student of a teacher. In the Greek, it says, it says tilmid. This means a learner or a student. And what we need to know is that this is very common throughout Israel. People would often attach themselves to a rabbi. This is a cultural thing. You attach yourself to a teacher. 
We see that Pharisees had rabbis. We see that philosophers had rabbis. These things called mystery cults had rabbis. It's where people thought there was special knowledge that they could glean by joining this group of people. And they could, if they just attached themselves to it for long enough, that they would pick up on all this special information. But the point of discipleship was not just to attach yourself to a group, it was attach yourself to a teacher so that you could learn from them, so that you could watch their way of life. And so in the Old Testament, it means that learning what is required from the Torah, the Hebrew scripture, and obeying it. That was the point of discipleship all the way up until the New Testament. We see that Pharisees, they would have followed, they would have followers of people that watch what they teach. And those people that follow them, their students would be their disciples. And then Jesus comes along. And so when we read the New Testament, I think a lot of times we're like, Jesus says, okay, come and follow me. I'll make you fishers of men. That seems kind of random just to leave everything for a teacher. But this is a commonplace thing. People attach themselves to teachers because they wanted to be disciples. But Jesus, as Jesus often does, flips everything upside down. Throughout the New Testament, we see that there are disciples, not just Jesus' disciples, but John the Baptist had disciples. And then Jesus comes onto the scene, and he's like, hey, John, what's going on? I want you to baptize me. John's like, no way, you should baptize me. But okay, I'll baptize you because you said I should, and you're Jesus, and I know who you are. After all, we're cousins. And so John's disciples, John the Baptist, his disciples, are so impressed with Jesus. They're so impressed with the fact that this is the Messiah, the King that was to come, that they stopped following John. They're like, hey, thanks for getting us ready for this guy. We're going to go follow him now. So Pharisees had disciples. John the Baptist had disciples. We see that Paul even has disciples. These young men, Paul would have Timothy and Titus. He would raise up as young men and send them out to plant churches. And so discipleship is a commonplace thing, but it is not common what Jesus does with discipleship. Jesus changes discipleship completely. He changes what it means to be a disciple, and he does that by building disciples in a new way. Jesus starts to recruit fishermen, all right? These are the guys that spend way too much time listening to country music out on their John boats with Cabela's hats on, all right? They smell like bait, and they're just a little sketchy. You never know. They could get a whiff of diesel and haul off and do something crazy. He recruits the zealots, the angry people, the people that are loose cannons, the people that you don't ever know. If somebody says the wrong thing, they might get a punch to the face. He recruits the worst out of all of these people. He recruits the tax collectors, all right? That's different than tax people nowadays. You see, tax collectors back then were despised because they, their job was to collect taxes for Caesar. And the way that they made their living is they would take an extra cut off the top. And so tax collectors not only wanted what you already owed, but they wanted a little bit more, more than you could probably give. And so these guys were despised. And so why is this so different? Because discipleship, Pharisees, when they would look for disciples, they would look for the religious up-and-coming leaders. They would look for the guys that knew the Torah. They knew their scroll inside and out or front and back the guys that had it all together on the outside religiously. And who does Jesus recruit to be his disciples? Not the religious up-and-comers, 
not the tip of the spear when it came to the Torah. Jesus recruits common folk just like you, just like me. We see that when Jesus recruits these average, everyday people, he does something that's so much more than was ever done with these disciples of the Pharisees, these guys that had it all together through 12 men that would become 11 men that would then be replaced by another. Jesus would change the entire world that would change my life, that would change your life. And in the New Testament, we see that disciple becomes known as someone who has believed in and confessed Jesus as their Messiah. It is no longer just a follower of a teacher. It is a follower of the Messiah. These disciples would become known as the way. That was their group of people. People that loved and followed Jesus were known as the way because of the way that they lived and how it mirrored the way that Jesus lived. So that's what a disciple is. What is the point of discipleship? Matthew paints a picture of just how much Jesus changes what it means to be a disciple in Matthew chapter 5, verse 48. I haven't been giving you time to flip to the scripture, so I'm going to give you time to flip there this morning. If you have your phone, you have your Bible on it, go ahead, turn it on, scroll to Matthew 5, verse 48. Verse 48, you therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. This scripture right here is a little overwhelming. This scripture right here points out the importance of being students of the Scripture. And when we are students of the Scripture, we learn the point of discipleship. And the point of discipleship is what? To be like the Father, to become more like God. As God is perfect, so we should strive to be perfect. We must be perfect out of the mouth of Jesus. What does it mean to be more like God? That means to be more holy, to be more righteous, to be more merciful, to be more loving, to be more patient, to be more like God in person, who we see in the life of Jesus. So what's the point of discipleship? What is the point of being discipled? What is the point of discipling others? It's to be more like Jesus. That's a task that's been given to us. That's the job that we have for ourselves is to become more like Jesus. And as we become more like Jesus, we say, hey, you want to hang out? I'm pretty messed up. I definitely don't have it all together, but you're way more messed up than me. And I think if you put the both of us together, we might be able to figure something out. And in the power of the Holy Spirit and our relationship with Jesus, all right, now we're definitely figuring something out. And as we pursue the Lord together and as we are transformed in our minds and then transformed in our lives, well, now we're being disciples. Now we're being discipled. Now Jesus is changing who we are. And so there's a question of where does discipleship take place in our lives? So there's four stages of our lives. There is before we know Jesus, while we're living life in sin, while we're in darkness, while there's no hope. And then there is a stage of justification where Jesus's death on the cross, his victory over sin, over death, paid an atonement for us so that we could be in right relationship with God. So there is before Jesus in sin, there is justified of our sin. And after we accept the relationship with Jesus, we move into this stage called sanctification. 
And that is a fancy word that just means becoming more and more like Jesus every day. Further up, further in. Sometimes, sometimes it goes down, but we want to see that there's an upward trend to being more and more like Jesus. Final stage of life, glorification. This is where we die, and we go to heaven, and we get new bodies, and it looks like we just did CrossFit every day of our lives. Instead, so you get to eat mac and cheese and mashed potatoes and a lot of amazing carbohydrates that the Bible talks about. I miss those. Where discipleship comes into the picture, a lot of times I think as a church, we think discipleship is just for people who already love and know Jesus and follow him. But as we see with Jesus, he calls his disciples before they ever even realize who he is or what he is doing. Discipleship can take place before a relationship with Jesus. We can disciple people to a point where they see their sin in their life and their need for a relationship with the risen King. Where they see a need, I've sinned, I need Jesus because I have a debt that I cannot pay. And in that, when they make a decision to follow Jesus, now they are believers, followers of Jesus, Christians. Now we put our arm around them just as it was before, while they were sinners, while they were lost, while they were hopeless, and we walk alongside them. We say, hey, this is a new life. You died to the old you. The old is gone, the new has come. Let's follow Jesus together. So where discipleship falls into place is before sin. It's a justification, and it is until they die. Discipleship does not stop. Go, therefore, do not stop. So what does a disciple do? A disciple does three things. If you're taking notes today, make sure you get these three. A disciple lives up. A disciple lives in, and a disciple lives out. Let's focus on the first one. A disciple lives up as a disciple of Jesus. We need to be restoring our relationship with God. So, got your Bibles, turn to Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 through 6. Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 through 6. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. And so what does it look like to be a disciple? Looking like a disciple means that we live up, and living up means we are reconnecting our relationship with the Father that was broken because of the sin in our lives. It means we are restoring and being restored in our identity as sons and as daughters of the King. I don't know what you think your identity is in here today, but before it is anything else, it is as a son and a daughter of the king. You are not adopted. You are not an orphan. You are adopted. You are not an orphan. You are absolutely adopted into a family where you are loved, where you are cared for by a perfect father who will always be there no matter what, any situation, no matter how bad you feel like you have messed up. You always have a father that is willing to run back to you as the father ran back to the prodigal son in Luke with open arms, willing to clothe you, willing to provide for you. That is living up. So because we are children of God, we have been given a gift, and that gift is the gift of the Holy Spirit. And that spirit inside of us cries out, Abba, Father. Maybe that sounds familiar. Some of the same words Jesus cried out on the cross. Daddy. Father, we should have a desire 
to restore that connection between us and the Father. And because we are children, as children are obedient to their parents, we should be obedient to the Father. We should hear and we should obey the Father, not out of oppression, but out of love, knowing that what He has said for us in our lives is better than any other option. Hear and obey the Father and we will experience restoration with him. Second thing is we live in, we restore our relationship with each other. That's me, that's you, that's us as a body of believers. This is us as a church. So we will be in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19. It says, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. All right, what is that saying? We are no longer strangers. This is common political speak for Paul to write to the church in Ephesus back in the day. And so what that means is stranger is a foreigner, and a foreigner has no rights to have no privilege within the city. He says, you're not a stranger. What else are you? Not. You're not an alien, all right? He's not talking about a little green thing with big black eyes that they're hiding at Roswell that I thought we were all going to raid together and nobody showed up. That was a bummer. I was really let down. Maybe next year. All right. What he's talking about here is someone who lived in the city and had only been given a few rights and a few privileges. And then he addresses us, the citizens. And what he says about us is that these citizens, if he's referring to them, they have full protection. They have full rights in the city. And so we are no longer strangers or aliens, but we are fellow citizens with the saints and the members of the household of God. So if you are a part of this church, guess what? We're family. You're not a stranger. You're not an alien. If you're in relationship with Jesus, you have full rights, full privileges, full protection in the house with the saints of God. So this is like Olive Garden. When you're here, you're family. All right. But for real, it goes outside the restaurant too. I don't care how good those breadsticks are. They will eventually run out, probably later that night. The love and the community of the church does not run out because it overflows from the love and the community that we have in our relationships with God. So the purpose of living in is to reconnect to each other, to love one another as I have loved you, as Jesus said in John 15, 12 and to hear and obey corporately as the body of Christ. There is no sin within this body that is isolated. All sin is communal. So the sin that you commit in my life affects me. The sin that I commit in my life affects you. So as a body of believers, let us hear God, let us obey God together, because there are consequences. The third thing is that a disciple lives out. We restore our relationship with our society. 2 Corinthians 5, verses 17 through 20. Go ahead and turn there. Second Corinthians 5, verse 17 through 20. This is so good, you guys. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry 
of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. Our sin is not counted against us because God is reconciled us. Siri talking to me down there. She hears my voice. Be quiet, Siri. <laughs> that is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. If you do not have a relationship in this room with Jesus, know that your sin has been paid for. Know that God wants to, you to be reconciled to him through the work of Jesus on the cross. I don't care what you've done. I don't care who you've been. I don't care where you've been. Forgiveness is yours through Jesus. All you need to do is accept that. You need to ask him to be the Lord, be the savior of, of your life, to make him master and ask him for the forgiveness of your sin and follow him. God wants to reconcile us to him. And when we are reconciled to God, we are then put in a position to reconcile others. God has given us the ministry of reconciliation, and that is reconciling the world. That is everything that has been lost since sin entered the world into the garden. Our hearts are longing for the beauty. Our hearts are longing for the put-togetherness of a world without sin because that is what we were designed for. We were designed for a world that was in perfect relationship, in perfect kingdom overlap with the Father, but sin enters into the picture and breaks that. And ever since it broke that, the design on our heart hasn't changed. But the affliction against our heart has changed because we long for something that is beautiful, that is put together. And that's no longer there. And so it is our jobs as believers, as kingdom citizens, to be the ones that bring reconciliation back into society. We have been sent. Our domains, our places, they need us to reconcile things to God. That is part of the role that we play. And so how are we doing with living up, with living in, and with living out? These are three simultaneous things that happen all at the same time. We can't just say, I'm doing really good at living up. Me and God, we're doing great. I'm doing okay at living in. You know, I say hi to people at church. Uh, you know, sometimes I'll shake their hand. It makes me nervous when they give me a hug still, but, you know, I still go for it because I'm, uh, you know, I'm just living in real well. Uh, but the whole living out thing, I'm just, I'm not, I'm not really digging that. You know, I'm not really around a lot of people. Uh, I'm super busy. I just have a whole lot going on. And because of that, I can't prioritize the things in my life that Jesus actually tells me to prioritize because I've got all these other things in the way that look good. But really what they are, if they're keeping us from the role that Jesus has told us to fill, is idols taking his spot on the throne. So let's dethrone the idols. And let's look at these things that are keeping us from the things that Jesus has actually said to do. Go, therefore, and make disciples, live up with God, live in with each other, and live out and reconcile things back to him. And then we see that disciples make disciples. Oh man, here we go. Matthew 28, verses 16 through 20. If you haven't turned anywhere and you have your Bible with you today, definitely turn here. Mark it, underline it, highlight it. Highlight it six times to where it bleeds on the other side of that really thin paper. This is the Great Commission. 
Matthew 28, verses 16 through 20. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee. This is the same scripture we started off with this morning. To the mountain which Jesus had directed them. And now when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Jesus gives us instruction. Jesus gives us his command. And what does Jesus say to do? Go, make disciples. Baptize them. Teach them to observe all that I have commanded of you. And that's going to be really hard. And you're not always going to want to do that. But if you want me and my spirit is in you, then you're going to pursue hard things for the advancement of the kingdom. And part of that is making disciples, is going. So we make disciples, we baptize them, and we teach them to observe in the entire time who is with us, Jesus. And what is with Jesus? All authority in heaven and on earth because it has been given to him. You have the king at your back in every conversation, in every situation. Do not cower from sharing the gospel. Do not cower from making disciples. So question for you is, are you seeking to help someone become more like Jesus? In your life right now, rhetorical question, are you seeking to help somebody become more like Jesus? If that's the case, come on, you might be a disciple maker. And is someone helping you become more like Jesus? If that's the case, then you may be being discipled which means you are next up to bat. They're about to call your name, and it's going to be time for you to take the bat, head to that plate, and start swinging. And you might strike out, but in making disciples, there are not three strikes. There are infinite amount of strikes. Well, it's really just based on the amount of people that are in your life. So if you go through all of them, let me know. If you run out of friends that don't want to be discipled, hey, that's fine. I'll find some new friends for you, okay? I hear Facebook's doing real well right now. So how does a disciple disciple? This is easy. This is going to be short. Do not let this overwhelm you. A disciple disciples. Nope, I got out of line there. How does a disciple disciple? A disciple disciples by living life with others. We model a life of loving Jesus to other people. And then we help them grow closer to Jesus. Are we doing that? How do I disciple? Who do I disciple? You disciple your domain. Look at the people that are already around you. If you want to break this down by the amount of people that you spend time with on a daily basis, we could probably start at your work. You're around people at work, what, at least eight, seven, six hours a day before the pandemic. You may be around your family more than anybody else now. That probably feels like more work. How am I going to get all this stuff done? My daughter keeps screaming in my ears watching Bubble Guppies. (laughs) You've been placed in a domain of your work for a reason. It's on purpose. It's not by accident. And that is so that that can be your mission field. Those are your people to reach. Or that is where God has you so that you may be reached. And the second one is your family. Your family is certainly not on accident either. Dads, moms, we've been given our children for a reason. We've been entrusted with lives. We've been entrusted with souls by God so that we could raise them up to be little followers of him. That's trust. That's hope. 
We need to be good stewards of that. We need to be diligent with that. We don't need to run away and try to escape the headaches that are involved with that. We need to be present in the moment so that we don't miss our opportunity to see our kids enter into a relationship with Jesus, so we don't miss our opportunity for them to be disciples. Psalm 127.4, one of my favorite verses in the Psalms, it says, children in a man's youth are arrows in the hands of a skilled warrior. Children in a man's youth are arrows in the hands of a skilled warrior. Just as a warrior, a mighty warrior is skilled with an arrow, let us be skilled as dads. Let us be skilled as moms and how we raise up our children to fall in love with Jesus. Let us love Jesus ourselves. Let us live up in and out. And let us model a life where they look at us and say, I want to love Jesus like my dad. I want to love Jesus like my mom. And then let's be absolutely surprised when the Holy Spirit takes root and it works. Let's not forget about our schools, students in here. Let's not forget about our teams. Let's not forget about our passions. Let's not forget about our hobbies. In every single one of these places, we are surrounded by people. You have been entrusted with those people. Embrace that call. Go after those people. We are accountable for those people. And so we have to ask ourselves here, are we living life change? Is the Holy Spirit changing other people's lives that we are living around because we are a part of their lives? And we need to be absolutely honest with that question. If we're not, if lives aren't changing, if we're just a chameleon around whoever we get around, if it, it's a church, we try to dress like a sheep, we try to act like church people, do church things and do speak Christianese, pretend and worship that we have a relationship with Jesus, maybe even raise our hands and just really fool somebody. The Holy Spirit isn't in us. If we don't have a relationship with Jesus, how are lives going to be changed if when we go to work, we just change colors, we just change skin into something completely different, put a different mask on. Every day's Halloween, trying to be somebody else, please other people. We have to be believers in every situation that God has put us in and realize we're in it for a reason. Let the Holy Spirit work in it. I want us to think about if, there, if it wasn't for discipleship. If it wasn't for discipleship, we would miss out on some of the greatest teams that the history of humanity has ever known and heard of. The first one, the Ninja Turtles, okay? Let's think about the Ninja Turtles real quick. Four turtles, radioactive slime, in the uh, sewers of New York City, okay? Just a bunch of hormonal teenager ninjas that happen to also be turtles if it wasn't for one man. Can someone please shout that man's name? Yeah, he's actually a rat. I thought I could trick you. You guys are good. Ninja Turtles had Splinter. Splinter discipled them. And of course, this is hypothetical. Ninja Turtles aren't real. I hope I'm not busting any bubbles. Mine was busted as a, young, as a young man. Batman and Robin. Come on, Batman and Robin. And then the Robin after that, and the Robin after that, who became Nightwing, all right? Great discipleship relationship. Let's talk about Luke Skywalker real quick and Obi-Wan Kenobi. I don't want you to think about where that went wrong with Darth Vader, but it went really right with Luke. So, hey, it's worth it. And now, let's talk about Mr. Miyagi and Daniel's son. Let's wax on and wax off. 
there's no better illustration, no better parable to take down Cobra Kai, and it will die. I don't care what they say, it'll never die. It will eventually. In order to take down Cobra Kai, you have to have a Daniel son. You have to have a Mr. Miyagi, and they have to come together. No better examples of discipleship in our culture today. In all seriousness, let's look at real discipleship relationships. We have Jesus, and we have his disciples. We have Paul and his disciples, Titus and Timothy. And then all of those discipleship relationships leads to more discipleship relationships, more discipleship, more discipleship, more disciples, making disciples, which leads to who? Leads to you. And that leads to me. And when it comes to me, if it weren't for discipleship, if it weren't for God putting people and men into my life that would take me under their wing and disciple me closer in my relationship to God to be more like Jesus, there would be a lot of things that would have never happened. The first thing is I would not be here. I would not know you. I would not know my wife. I would not know my daughters. And I would not know God. I would not know about a bigger kingdom. I would not know how to read my Bible. I would not know how to communicate with God in prayer, both speaking to him and him speaking to me. And I would not know how to love and serve others selflessly because I would be about a life that is all about myself and how I can serve me. I would not know true life. I would be empty. I would not know satisfaction. I would not know peace. And I would not have hope. And I would not have joy. If it were not for somebody taking the call to go therefore and make disciples serious in my life. This church wouldn't be here today. Now, this church is God's will, and he would find someone else to figure out a way to make this happen. This body of believers, we would not be here. We would not be banded together in this kingdom, in this community to see the kingdom advance if someone did not take discipleship seriously. And so you would not be here if someone did not take discipleship seriously. You would not be in a relationship with Jesus if nobody told you about Jesus. And so do not be the person that the family line ends with. We've been entrusted. We have a responsibility. Jesus said, go. Let's not be the place that it stops. Less than 1% of the next generation is going to come to know Jesus, not on my watch, and not on the watch of this church. Let's step up to the plate. Let's swing as many times as is needed. Let's make disciples. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you that you made disciples. Thank you that you used the lives of 12 men, then 11, and then replaced to change the course of history, to change our history. Thank you that it trickled all the way down to us, and Jesus, let it not stop at us. Let us take discipleship seriously. And let us not be intimidated at where it could go wrong. But Father, let us have hope for the future and where it does go right. And the people that you call into relationship with you. Let us be disciple makers personally, in our individual lives, as a church, as a body, and in the places that you have put us, because the places that you have put us are the places that you have sent us on mission for other people. May the lost be found. Jesus, we love you in this mandate to go, therefore, to make disciples, to baptize them, to teach them, to obey, 
cannot be done without you and the power of the Holy Spirit. And so Holy Spirit in our lives right now and dwelling in the believers of Asante Church, would you light a fire in our lives so that we can see the people around us that do not know you, Jesus, that are lost in sin, that are lost in hopelessness, that are trying to fill their lives with whatever will fill them up in a moment. Jesus, we know that you have lasting water. We drink of it, we will not thirst again. Help us to share that with others. If that's you in this room today, and you'd say, I've not ever been in a place where I know for sure that I've entered into a relationship with Jesus or I've just been checking it out for a while and I'm, I've still got questions, but you know what? I feel God calling me into relationship with him. I want to take the next step. If that's you in this room, I want you to know that in Jesus, through his work on the cross and in crucifixion and him being victorious over sin and death and the enemy in your life, that forgiveness is possible for you. All you have to do is, has, is ask him to forgive you, to ask him to be your savior and to trust in him for that and make him master. If that's you, or if that's you and you have more questions today on your Connect card, if you would be so bold and brave to check off that box that said, I would like to follow Jesus in a relationship. We want to talk to you about what that would look like. At the end of service, you'll turn it into the giving box. But do not leave here today without knowing that you have been reconciled in relationship with Jesus. Do not leave here today knowing that you are not a disciple and that you have an opportunity to be one and to make disciples. Jesus, we love you. We thank you for the cross. We thank you that it makes all of this possible. In your name we pray, amen.